Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Compete Waffle. My name's Alicia. I'm an advanced sports dietitian and co-founder of Compete Nutrition, a tech startup that is really aiming to deliver nutrition differently into your life. And we are having a whole lot of fun doing it. So, well, this next episode, I don't even know where to start with this intro. I was introduced to our next guest via one of our sports dietitians in the team, Lauren, and I am so, so grateful for that. During this chat, I got to get to know this guest really well. She was extremely vulnerable in her discussion. She was so generous with everything that she gave in terms of her responses, her thoughts, her vision, and I guess her experience just growing up in sport and then what she has seen and what she's experienced within that. And her name is Lydia, Lydia O'Donnell. And if you haven't come across her, please go and follow her Instagram. Please go check her out and read some of her blogs. She writes beautifully and she tells her story so generously in the way that she really does work through what running means to her, but also what she's been through. She started off, you know, as you'll hear in the podcast in dancing and moved very quickly into the running scene and absolutely loved it. And she sees running with a different lens, I guess. She really works through what running means to her in a different light, not just in the physical sense, but really how much it means to her in terms of her overall well-being and mental health. And she shares a lot about her experiences there that I cannot wait for you to listen to. I got very teary at times. She shares experiences that I know, unfortunately, are not unique to her. Um, I've worked with many clients that have experienced the same struggles that she has, the same symptoms. Uh, and really the same learnings. So I think this is why this episode is so, I guess, valuable to me, but also how I feel it's going to be really powerful to you as well. So I'm not going to talk anymore. This is the beautiful Lydia and enjoy this next episode. A massive welcome to you, Lydia. Thank you so much for joining the Compete Waffle. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Like I'm always um, willing to have conversations around female athletes in particular, um, but anything to do with nutrition and training and recovery, I'm really excited to chat around. So yeah, thanks for having me. It's so it's so lovely to connect. Um, I was just saying before we started, just you know, your name popped up very early on in our conversation of who we should start to talk to. And um, in terms of just your, I guess, your personal ride that you've been on from, you know, very young age as a runner all the way up to now, I think it's just something that I think a lot, like a lot of people will resonate with. And I'm a big believer that storytelling can just improve that not only awareness, but ability to empathize with others and really see you know, bigger picture, even if it's something that we haven't necessarily experienced ourselves. So thank you for, you know, your willingness, I guess, to be a little bit vulnerable and tell that story. Yeah, I think it's very important to have these conversations. I think um, being vulnerable can be scary, but, you know, knowing that having these conversations can help other people and other athletes, especially, you know, um, I'm always willing to have these conversations because of that. So yeah, I, I'm happy to be here, and I think um, there's. I have been on a bit of a ride, and I think, as you said, without telling these stories, people kind of have no idea of what your background is, and I think people jump to assumptions quite quickly and um, you know, have these ideas around who you are and where you've come from um, without really understanding the journey you've been on, so I'm excited to get into it. 
Yeah, wonderful. Well, let's start start right. Like, I'd love to hear. Obviously, I hear an accent. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and you know a bit about you and um, what you're all about, Lydia, as a kid? Yes, I grew up in a place called Tauranga in New Zealand. Um, it is about three hours south of Auckland. Uh, it is quite a small town, um, a beautiful place. We're right on the beach, so we've got an amazing place to run and explore, which is cool. Um, I grew up as a very active child. I wanted to do everything. I think if you ask my mum, she'd probably roll her eyes. And I think she kind of got quite sick of it by the end of it. But um, I loved all sports. So I kind of wanted to give everything a crack, but I really took dancing quite seriously as a child. My, mm. I did ballet, jazz and tap until I was about the age of 14. So I danced from the ages of three to 14, which is quite a long time. And so I look at the lifespan of my life so far. It is a big chunk of my life. And I really, really love dancing. And um, I think while I was dancing, it was what I really wanted to do and what I wanted to grow up doing. But um, things kind of changed as I got into high school. But I will never regret going back and, um, you know, having that as part of my life because I think dance is one of those things that really teaches you discipline and dedication and it takes uh, teaches you how to see progress over years and years of training which um, I think has paid off in my athletic career as well so um, it wasn't until about high school that I took yeah running a lot more seriously um, I kind of got into an amazing group at school had an incredible high school coach who took me under her wing and really um, taught me the importance of enjoying sport and enjoying running and putting the passion for your sport first and I think um, working with her at the time it really ingrained into me how important it was to be having fun um, and I still believe that today and I think without knowing that as a, as a teenager and growing up with that, that kind of always in the back of my mind I don't think I'd still be running now so I'm super grateful to have a coach like her throughout high school through those teenage years when it's I mean, teenagers are just so impressionable, you know, and I, I just was um, very lucky to have such a strong figure in my life at that time who wasn't only an incredible runner herself, an incredible coach, but just a great mentor to make sure that I was really focusing on the right parts of being an athlete and, and enjoying running. So, yeah, I think I, I started taking running a lot more seriously as I got into um, my late teens, like 19, 20. I went through a bit of a rocky patch. Um, before that for a couple of years which I think many teenagers kind of go through um, kind of like set off on the wrong path for a couple of years which led down some pretty um, hard mental health problems and um, a few I guess times where I really had to have a bit, a bit of a reality check as to who I was and what I was doing on my journey of life um, mm -hmm. but running kind of was that tool that really brought me back into understanding who I was and what I wanted to be doing and um, really made me focus on, you know, trying to achieve my athletic abilities, but also steer my life in all directions on the right, uh, in the, on all um, parts of my life in the right direction. So, yeah, um, I think I've been running at more that kind of level ever since I'm about 20 years old and progressed into the marathon in the last about three or four or five years. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. <laughs> Amazing. And I think, yeah, I, it, when you were talking about like letting that running go, you know, in those late teens for a little bit, I resonated with that so much because it was one of the things I did. I um, loved distance running, cross country, was real, just enjoyed it basically, but also was competitive with it. 
But then I got to like the study stage, but also the party stage of life. And I was like, well, I'll just let that go because I don't have time or, you know, there's other things to focus on. But I love that you were able to come back to that as part of your, I guess, awareness or even just noticing that the path you were on wasn't necessarily serving you or where or who you wanted to be. What really, um, do you remember the moment that you made that realization or was it something that kind of crept up on you? Um, I think there were different times throughout that period. It was about 18 months to two years where I came back. Um, I actually was given a offered a scholarship to the States to be on an athletic scholarship at a university over there, which was an incredible opportunity. And I was only 17 years old, so I was still relatively young. And I went over to the States by myself um, to a place in Texas, which um, was a huge cultural shock for me, completely different to what I was used to down in little old safe in New Zealand um, and I guess the running side of things at the university were a lot more serious than what I was used to at my school and like I was saying my coach was incredible in the way that she tried to grow that love for running and then getting placed into a university where it's all about how fast you can run where you're coming placing time set rankings um, it's just not what I was used to and so I kind of was um, thrust into this world of competitive running that I wasn't really used to and really didn't enjoy it so I only spent about six weeks over there until I decided to come back to New Zealand and at that point I ended up quitting running um for that 18 month period I think mm-hmm. because I was really um I guess afraid to dive into a world that was so competitive and I think when you look at the stats of young girls dropping out of sport these days it's horrific how many girls stop sport so young and a big part of that is the competitive element and girls comparing themselves to other girls and really, um, I guess, not enjoying that side of the sport and not actually just enjoying it for what it can be versus like just always competing. And I don't, I don't get me wrong, I think competition is really healthy and really good for us, but if it is going to prevent you from doing something, then maybe you need to take a step back and understand why you're doing it in the first place. So, um, yeah, I think once I kind of stopped running and... I really lost myself in terms of I didn't know who I was. Um, I didn't know. And I mean, most of us will go through that at some point in life, really question who we are and what we're about and what our journey is. And um, I've always been a very driven person. I think ever since I was a kid, I remember thinking when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to grow up and, you know, be a celebrity or be famous or, you know, like do something incredible. Um, and I think I've always been driven in terms of like trying to achieve something greater but um, once I was on that path of really not understanding who I was, I kind of lost that drive. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until about a year um, into like spending majority of my time partying and drinking and, you know, taking drugs and hanging out with the wrong people that I had to take, take a step back and really um, look at myself and question what my life could be if I don't make a change. And um, I do remember a very specific time where I was placed in a, um, situation where I was offered um, a you know, pretty hard drug that um, nobody in the world should be taking and I remember getting it offered to me at a point where I um, and this is probably one of the moments of my life that I'm most proud of who I was right in that moment although I was so lost I made a decision to not take that drug right then as an 18 year old um, where everyone around me is taking it and I think that was definitely one of those moments in my life where I was like wow uh, who knows what could happen if I if I made a decision different decision that night. So that was a really pivotal time, I guess, for me. Um, and then realizing how important running and exercise and movement was for me, and how 
happier maybe mm. I think when you know when you're in a state of depression and you you struggle to be motivated to get up each day and then finding that motivation to actually go for a run and understanding that that made me feel really good in that moment on that day um and that I needed to do that more often and I think it was then when I was kind of like I need running <laughs> and I don't care at the moment how fast or how far I run I just need to move um to get through each day and I think that's definitely sparked this relationship um with running that I have now which is all built around you know I run because it's the priority or I guess the main reason I run is for my mental health and and I think that's what it should be for everybody because our mental health is the most powerful tool we have so yeah let's delve into that mental health side because you're such a beautiful advocate for that message that I feel like is a you know a discussion and a conversation we should all be having more often and take yourself back to you know those moments where you mentioned it was hard to be motivated to get yourself up um to do you know reasonably simple tasks because I feel like for those who haven't been in those depths it is really hard to empathize and imagine you know not being able to even just consider what to eat that day or you know what to cook or be able to you know even think about exercise because I think from the outside it's like well just eat better and just start moving you know it sounds so simple logically do you want to take us into that if, if it's okay what that actually feels like and what that meant to you yeah I, I'm happy to um, talk about it I just my depression um, definitely wasn't as severe as a lot of other people who are suffering and I hate being around people um, my entire life who have had quite severe depression I've seen it firsthand what it can do to people how it can kind of like turn people towards you know, um, drugs and alcohol and things that can really impact their life overall. So, I mean, I, in my depression, I think that I went through when I was late teens um, was minimal compared to others, but I was in a state where I was unmotivated and I really didn't know um, where I was going or what I was doing. And I was surrounded by the wrong people at that time. And um, I just, I, I guess I just questioned every day, like who I am. And that's a really hard place to be to you know yourself and I think um going through that it's really I've done a lot of work around my mindset and how my mental health around how I talk to myself and how I speak to myself because I think what people forget is that voice in our head that talks to ourselves it's actually not us talking to ourselves you know it's, it's this voice that is controlling our thoughts and our minds are just like kind of any other muscle in, in our body and you know our muscles kind of just work naturally and we just let them work you know we don't actually try and think about like oh I'm gonna you know pinch my calf right now that kind of can just happen naturally um and it's the same thing with our brain with our minds and our brains you know they're just going to be working and we have to understand that there is going to be a voice there that's speaking to us um and we don't necessarily need to buy into it and believe everything it tells us you know we need to be able to can kind of control those thoughts as much as we can and I think that um, learning that and understanding that even nowadays, you know, mm. I get negative thoughts and I'm sure many people get negative thoughts and, and it's letting those kind of thoughts come and go. And I think gratitude has been a huge part to play in my own mental health and understanding that um, I, you know, go through periods of feeling depressed. And I think a lot of, especially females um, before their menstrual cycle, it's a whole nother conversation. Like mm. a lot of females suffer, suffer um, premenstrual depression and, especially for females when it's only two or three days and they can go and go into the south of feeling really sad and low, um, understanding that it's not forever and it's not permanent. And like, 
in a couple of days, you're going to feel a lot different and a lot better. And um, learning the science behind it has really helped me kind of work through those moments, but also like feeling grateful and what I have and what I'm doing and being, you know, happy around about I get to do what I love every day. And, you know, um, I think gratitude is a huge, plays a huge part in um, people's mental health, mental health struggles. So, yeah, it's um, been a journey and I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to oh. like overcome some challenges and barriers in my mind. So Amazing. Now you mentioned gratitude a few times there. Is that something that you've always done kind of in yourself just automatically or is it something you've really had to schedule in and really create as a habit for yourself to move forward with this for an integral part of who you are but also um, your ongoing well-being? I think it's something that um, initially I had to schedule in and initially um, actually I think the first time I started um, practicing gratitude specifically was using the five-minute journal which um, is a very simple task when you wake up in the morning you fill out the questions there's three things you're grateful for three things that you um what will make today great and then you can write a mantra about who you are and then at night time you just fill out three things that were great today um and maybe what could have been better I think that was it um Mm. and just practicing that every day you know really helps you not only um I guess feel more motivated when you wake up in the morning but actually throughout the day you start noticing things that you might not have noticed before and realizing that yeah we are very fortunate to have that happen to me today whether it is going for a run you know in a a beautiful place or um having a warm bed or having a beautiful lunch with friends whatever that may be like you actually start realizing things and being like this I'm so happy that this I have this in my life. Like I'm very lucky to have this and um, being grateful for it is so important. So I think once you kind of go through um, and use tools and whether it's a five-minute journal or the Resilience Project, I know um, Hugh Van Kylenberg has his own gratitude journal and using tools like that can definitely help start those, um, I guess, ways of practicing gratitude in your life. And then I think over time it becomes quite natural to you and yeah, even now I'm going through a pretty hard challenge, um, challenging time with my family. And I think um, stepping back and being like, yes, things are going wrong and it's a really tough time, but I'm lucky to be here with them and we're in a beautiful place and we've got a roof over our heads. Um, we're very, I'm very fortunate to kind of have that. So it definitely helps you look at the bright side of life, that's for sure. Yeah, I was actually going to venture into that question and you've kind of led there already. You've been through a lot, you know, both towards that COVID piece and having to do isolation a few times now, um, but also now more recently your um, dad's cancer diagnosis. It's meant that you've, you know, you have missed some key events when it comes to your running, um, but also, of course, the stress of, you know, watching your dad go through this and being a part of that journey as well, which has led you now to being in New Zealand again. I can't imagine what that is like. and. I'm sure, you know, it's been a really, really hard challenge. What has you got, got you through that? You know, you mentioned the gratitude, but, um, you know, like what else has really led you to being able to cope with that, both in the running side, but also the overall, you know, well-being place as well? Yeah, it has been a really tough time. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie, and I think a lot of people um, are continually checking in, which is amazing, and asking how I am. Mm-hmm. your natural instinct is to say yeah I'm good or like I'm okay but like I'm falling a lot more to that like I'm not that okay but um you know this isn't permanent I keep thinking that too and I think 
um, the running element to what has happened in the last couple of months. I think COVID probably really prepared me for that because we had so many events cancelled last year and, um, you know, I was meant to go to the World Marathon, uh, Half Marathon World Champs last year um, and that got cancelled like two weeks before or something and, and then that kind of just like finally out of control with COVID and many events got either canned or postponed. Um, mm. So when this happened to me in the last couple of months, uh, last month, where I was prepping to run um, an Olympic trial marathon to qualify for Tokyo, um, when I, under- I found out about my dad and came to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be able to run this race, um, I think I was kind of already used to having to put plans on hold because of COVID. And I think um, if anything's going to get hold- put on hold because of something else, um, of course, my dad, my- anybody in my family, their health is priority. And I think um, knowing that going to the Olympics and running for New Zealand is obviously a lifelong dream and it's something that I've wanted to do since I was a child but um, I it's not my be all and end all for running like I don't run to go to the Olympics I run because it makes me happy it makes me feel good I I just love the uh, act of running and Mm. and whether it's running fast or running slow or running for New Zealand or running for myself I like it doesn't really bother me as long as I can get out there and run. And I, I think I just kind of keep going back to that because, um, yeah, I think the Olympics may come for me one day and it may not. One of those things with being an athlete is nothing is ever guaranteed to you. So I might not have even made the team this year. Um, I might make the team another three or four years when the next Olympics are. But, you know, my dad may only be here for a certain amount of time and, I want to spend every minute I can with him and be here for him and be here to support my family. And that's definitely way, way, way more important for me than um, making a New Zealand team. So, yeah, I I am still, yeah, I think the fact that I can run and and get out and um, exercise each day and, you know, work up a sweat and be in a beautiful place doing it, you know, it could be a lot worse. So um, I'm just, yeah, grateful there it is again. Grateful for that. Like, mm. I think that's me Yeah, I had a beautiful discussion with one of our teams that we work with, their psychologist, and um, he was saying that right. Like, being resilient isn't about always being okay. It's actually being okay when things are going wrong, <laughs> and it's learning how to do that. And it's as you said, that muscle that we need to continue to work on. It's not something that just comes with us and that we're born with. It's something that we work on all the time, and it's this continual, infinite project. And you spoke so beautifully then, and I'm glad you gave me some time to recoup because I was getting a little bit of a mess as you were talking. But um, I just think you know to have that mindset and have that way of thinking about things when it is you know there are things that you could absolutely focus on which you know you would be totally okay with having you know a real negative outlook on all these things that are happening you've taken that approach of really focusing on what you can control and what the priorities are and I had a beautiful chat with Pat Carroll actually on a podcast and it was at the start of COVID and he was actually saying he's like it's really surprised me that people don't run when there's no events like I run when there's no events and I love running and I always have run without events and you've kind of reflected that same thing of just that love for running and it's not about necessarily that finite end goal race it's about what you gain from it in so many different aspects and I absolutely love that Lydia. No, thank you. I think 
any athlete should really enjoy what they do. And it breaks my heart when I see athletes who are, you know, at the top of the game and they are um, professional athletes, but they aren't enjoying themselves. And I just look at those guys and I'm like, you need to make a change because you're going to look back when you're older and regret it because you want to be having fun. Like that's the most important thing of life is, you know, to be happy and healthy and enjoying what you're doing. And if you're not doing it and you're there just for medals and times and, to make money even mm. it's probably not the right thing to be doing so yeah I think I'm very grateful that I love running <laughs> yeah but you probably have seen a lot of cultural mm. um influences in all the different sports you've had like dance definitely has a very high body image focus um probably a lot of diet culture pressure around body composition and you're also in distance running which I'm sure has that same culture or very similar um, cultural fit where there is that pressure for a certain um, body composition, leanness, fastness, and what defines, I guess, a runner. What has that journey been like? What have you, I guess, you know, being a fly on the wall within these environments, what's, what have you heard along the way, but also what has it taught you along the way as well? Yeah, it's crazy because you're right. I've come from a sport that is purely based on body image and step into another sport, which is heavily based on body image. And I think, I mean, a lot of sports are nowadays. I think there's been a research study done in New Zealand here and it was done on elite professional females and 75% of those females came back saying that they feel a pressure to look a certain way to be in the sport or be the athlete that they are, which is so sad because they're obviously the best of the best and they're the best at what they do they should embrace that, not feel a pressure to look a different way because of what they do, if that makes sense. It just seems mm. so crazy to me, but it's I've been there. And, and um, I think when I was dancing, I didn't necessarily pay too much attention to what I looked like. I was a young girl who just loved dancing. And I think um, I definitely saw it within the sport. I, I remember, vividly remember my ballet teacher telling one of the girls in my class, that she was too fat to be a ballerina and she ended up in hospital and anorexic and she would have been 10, 11, 12 years old, so young. And I remember that um, so clearly. And I think maybe, who knows, if that was subconsciously the reason I stepped away from dance, I'm not sure, but it's yeah. so prevalent within dance. And then coming and running as a teenager, like I said, I had an incredible coach who never focused on weight, never talked to us about weight let us eat whatever we wanted we would binge on lollies and burgers and pizza and she'd embrace that which was great and I think really healthy for me at the time but I definitely suffered like eating disorders and body image issues as a teenager and I remember days where I would wake up and hate my body and like oh I would go to bed at night and drench that I'd wake up in someone else's body like another girl that I knew who went to my school who was skinny and tall and lean like that was all I wanted and I would, um, I remember very clearly, I would write on my hand, um, just with like a vivid or like a pen, just like stop. So it would like stop me from eating. And I remember having that on my hand. So it was like a clear sign for me because I probably had really bad self-control as a young girl. (laughs) Stop me from eating because I just really desperately wanted to be that really tall, skinny, lean athlete. Or probably wasn't even too focused on the athlete side of things. I just wanted to be skinny and and like I look back now, like I spent so much time and energy consumed by trying to look a certain way, and I, I just like wish I knew then what I know now because I did it it's so wrong. And I think you know, young girls should be empowered in themselves and feeling 
um, strong and confident in their bodies and embrace their physiologies, not kind of going the other way and try and, um, you know, underfuel and overtrain and hate themselves for the way they look. Like, it's really, really sad. And mm. I think um, when I came into my 20s, I was definitely still questioning or, like, worried about what I looked like. And I remember a, um, a coach coming up to me one day and like we would get our skin folds done and um it was quite uh, I wouldn't say we were very invested in weight but that was definitely prevalent in, in there and like we knew that well, I say we but myself I knew that I if I, I should lose what I thought I, if I could lose a certain amount of kilos I'd be able to run a little bit faster and look like the athlete that everyone expects me to be and um I remember this coach grabbing my stomach once like literally grabbing I wouldn't even say fat, like it was a skin fold, <laughs> telling me that if I lost it, I'd be able to run some X amount faster. And that, like some growing up with a, as a girl who already had body image issues and then going into a situation where you are um, told pretty much that you're too big to be the athlete that you are, um, affected my mental health so severely. And it's really only been until the last three years of my life, and I'm 30 now, so, you know, I lie um worried about my weight and um I just yeah I guess that's probably why I do what I do now and advocate for these young girls and females around being feeling empowered in our bodies because I just know what it's like to feel um to wake up in the morning and feel like you're not worthy or you're not um you you don't deserve to be the athlete you want to be or you don't look like the athlete you think you should be or um, want to be so yeah I guess like I stepped into running marathons probably about five years or four or five years ago now. And um, I just remember so clearly being on the, uh, the starting line of my first marathon and looking around all these like lean girls and thinking, I don't like, I don't, shouldn't be here. Like, this isn't me. Like I'm short and stocky and muscly and strong and I'm not tall and lean and thin and, you know, fast. Um, and so many times, people would be like, oh, what distance do you run? And I'm like, oh, the marathon. And they're like, oh, you don't look like one. You look like a sprinter. Like that's what people would tell me. Oh, you look like a sprinter or like even a weightlifter. And I'm like, absolutely nothing wrong with sprinting bodies either. Like I don't think any athlete needs to look a certain way to, you know, be partaking in a certain sport. But just those comments of like, oh, you don't look like that. I'm like, who cares what I look like? Like, I'm, I'm running and I'm running fast so <laughs> it mm. doesn't, you know it doesn't really matter um and I'm healthy and I'm strong and that's kind of the most important thing like I have a menstrual cycle and I feel good so who cares if I'm holding X amount of weight like yeah um so nowadays I, I definitely embrace yeah the, the my performance um and my health over the way I look completely I just don't mm. focus on that at all yeah did that come to you you know when you started marathons that internal talk of like you know what it doesn't matter I'm going fast I feel strong or did that take a really you know long time to get to was it you know that three years ago kind of stage where you only just started to realize that it was more about how you were feeling your overall performance rather than it being a measure of you know your leanness or you know whether you had your menstrual cycle or all those types of things I yeah, I'd say um, it was only about three years ago where I started to learn a lot more about female physiology and spent a lot of time um, researching into like Dr. Stacey Sims' work and understanding that um, having a menstrual cycle is actually a tool and um, 
something that we can use to our advantage as athletes. And up until that moment, I was almost embarrassed to tell people I had a menstrual cycle because I thought that I was, if I have a cycle, I'm not, you know, a, a real athlete that people think I should be because honestly, I thought not having a menstrual cycle was a sign that you're training hard enough and that you're under eating and then that meant you're like a high level elite athlete. Um, and so once I was like educated on the fact that having a menstrual cycle was a good thing, to have your menstrual cycle, you need to fuel properly. And then to fuel properly, you need to have a very healthy, balanced diet to get the um, fuel in to, you know, be able to execute the training to get better and faster. Understanding, I guess, the science behind it really made me take a step back and be like, I've been beating myself up for so many years and underfueling, restricting my diet. Like I went through a period of six months where I didn't touch a carb and I thought that was going to make me a better runner. And it turned out that it scared me down the direction of red S. And I think, um, so once I kind of went through all that and like, I'm glad I went through all of that because it, it showed me exactly what I need for my body to be a good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I think then I actually started embracing my body a lot more and being like, yeah, I've got the cycle. Yeah. I eat really well. I eat, a lot <laughs> um, but I can train really hard and I'm smashing my feet and that to me like that's why I do what you know that's that's so important I mean that's what what you need to do to be able to um, progress as an athlete you need to be able to fuel so mm. yeah it's been um, a huge journey but it's been I think the best last three years of educating um learning going through these experiences and then trying to inspire and help other girls who either have gone through what I've gone through going through what I've gone through or I haven't gone through it and potentially have the um potentially may go through it but hopefully we can kind of get in there before they do and um show them kind of the right way to go can you talk us through you know I guess you spoke about that time where you were putting yourself into that relative energy deficiency in sport or that red S where you did feel, you know, your menstrual cycle may have hit pause for a bit. What else were you feeling over this time um, that gave you a bit of a signal that you may need to think about a different approach when it came to feeling, but also your training and recovery? Yeah, I think it's, um, it was a huge combination of everything that led me down that path. I um, was probably overworking. I was working a pretty stressful job at the time. I was also trying to train for a marathon. I was also boxing on top of that and under fueling. So I kind of had the combination of everything that you probably shouldn't be doing. <laughs> I had it all going on. Um, hence why it blew up in my face. And I remember at the time, a lot of people around me are telling me, you know, you need to slow down. You're doing too much. You need to eat more. And um, I think us females feel this pressure to be superwoman and to try and do everything we possibly can. Um, to approve ourselves I think that's a systemic issue that has come from you know the history of females being told to sit down and shut up and now we're like well no I I can do everything because I am a female um, and I feel that was definitely me like trying to prove a point really mm-hmm. um, and, and yeah I, I fell into red S and I think I probably suffered for a good six months to a year before I actually did anything about it um, mm-hmm. until that point I kind of ignored all the signs and um, pretended nothing was going wrong. Um, and it wasn't until one day I looked in the mirror and really just noticed everything, really. My skin was completely broke out. I had terrible, terrible acne. My hair was all falling out. Um, 
I had this twitching eye that twitched for six months. I'd lost my menstrual cycle. I can't remember at the po- that point how long I'd lost it for, but or like I had lo- I lost it for nine months. Um, and I also couldn't actually go to the toilet, <laughs> which might be a bit too much information. But my bowels. Oh, people are used to my used to my yeah, toilet I, talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine as a nutritionist, like my bowels weren't functioning at all. Um, but I just ignored all these signs because I wanted it to be okay and I wanted everything to be working for me so I could keep living this high pressure, um, stressful life that I was living at the time. And yeah, it wasn't until that moment I looked and then really took a step back and um, realized. And I think at that time, I'd never even heard of Red S. I'd heard of the female athlete triad, mm. um, but I wasn't underweight. And this is what um, I think um, really good about Red S and that's why we're having these conversations is you don't have to look a certain way to be suffering. And with the female athlete triad, it's almost like you had to look underweight to kind of fall into that category. But I didn't look underweight um, and I wasn't suffering stress fractures. Um, I'd lost my cycle uh, and I had all these other issues of fatigue going on but I wouldn't have fallen into the female athlete triad. So RES is definitely um, one of those things that covers kind of so many different issues that can stem from also what people who are suffering from the female athlete triad do as well. So, um, yeah, I ended up having to quit my job. Uh, I didn't have to, but (laughs) it was a decision I made because I realised how important my health was um, and that, you know, no amount of money or job title or status was worth putting my body through what I was putting it through and mm. I took about three months of just doing nothing really um I slept a lot ate a lot um yeah just tried to let my body heal naturally and and then after about three months I kind of started back running a bit more seriously and um it probably took about 18 months at least to recover fully from it so I'm very very grateful that I have recovered from it because I know a lot of people don't, which is really, really unfortunate. And I've got friends who haven't recovered and still suffering after years. And that just breaks my heart because it's something that almost we could have controlled ourselves at that time if only we'd kind of been educated enough to do it. So mm-hmm. hopefully now with um, the amount of athletes and people speaking up about um, Red S and the importance of fueling and um, recovery, hopefully we can kind of put a stop to people suffering from Red S and chronic fatigue. Totally agree. Now, I've I've worked with a lot of athletes with red S or coming out of into that recovery phase. And you're right, that recovery is tough. It's really, really hard. It goes opposite to everything you've probably done your whole life. How hard was it to hit pause? I think I was at a point where I didn't really have any other option. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I couldn't keep, like, I could barely train. And because I guess I love running so much and not being able to actually even get out and go for a run, and I'd be jogging slow and my heart rate would be through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't enjoyable for me. So I think I really just understood that if I wanted to be able to enjoy running the way that I used to um, and not only enjoy it, but also come back as an athlete and seriously train race again. I needed to take that time to recover and I really just saw it as any kind of other injury that I've had and how, um, you know, whether it is your, your brain or your mind or a muscle group or your adrenal system, like they all need time to recover. And so I kind of just looked at it like that. I just got to enjoy the time off and um, 
yeah, I actually, funny enough, after the day after I decided to quit my job, I ended up in hospital with appendicitis. And I think that, I don't know if there's any link, but I think that was definitely part of my body just shutting down. Um, mm. And so that also... Yeah, closing that stress cycle, right? ...into the state of recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That stress... Yeah. So, that stress phase, you mentioned how many avenues were quite stressful for you at that time. And of course, you've got your training stresses additional to all those other areas. You mentioned a beautiful word, which is under recovery. How often, you know, from both yourself and your experience, but also the people around you, do you feel like we don't necessarily, I guess, count the other stresses in our life? We always kind of think of ourselves as only doing the exercise and recovering just from the training. Yeah, crazy amount of females especially. And it's really hard to kind of um, speak to those women about recovery because I know so many females just love training and they love going hard and emptying the tank. And I work with so many females through FEMI who um, have been wanting to train harder and harder and thinking that higher intensity training and more speed work will allow them to be better athletes. And, And having those conversations and saying, you know, like, learn from my mistakes um recovery is just as important as training if you can focus on your recovery as much as you focus on your training you're actually going to be a better athlete a better runner um than if you just kind of train and train and train and it took me a while to understand that as well but now I'm just like all for recovery days I I my recovery days are slow jogs but everybody's obviously different and because a lot of my athletes we make sure that they have one or two rest days a week and that they're only really pushing their heart rate up once or twice a week. Whereas there's a craze um, or fad of high intensity training. And it's really um, becoming evident now. And I learned this as well through the boxing training that I was doing that high intensity training for females just doesn't work. You know, like once, maybe twice a week to push your heart rate higher than, you know, 140, 150, depending on who it is. Um, it's, once or twice a week is all you need to actually progress. And I think any more than that, you're actually doing more harm to your body than good. And I see these girls who are so sucked into high intensity training, whether it is, you know, boxing, or well, I don't think CrossFit is so bad because there's a lot more structure to a CrossFit training plan. Um, but like if it's F45, any sort of like high intensity, short, fast, sharp sessions that definitely work for people you know like I can understand why you want to go to the gym in your lunchtime and do a hard 30 minute session get the heart rate up work up a big sweat and walk out feeling amazing like don't get me wrong I've done that and I know how good that feels but doing that every day some girls do it two or three times a day so bad for your for your health like for your hormone health especially and your hormone health can control everything so um having those conversations that like okay cool we're gonna strip all that high intensity out and what I love about a running program is that you have one or two hard days, you have a couple of easy days, and then maybe some medium days stuck in there as well. Mm. Like a running program, I personally think, is the best way to train because you it is such a well-balanced training program and you're actually going to see progress. And I never speak about, um, you know, we train to look a certain way. I, I really stay clear of that, but I do know that a lot of people, especially females, do train to look, you know, it's for aesthetics. Um, and so I try to have those conversations that if doing it to look a certain way, you're actually going to look better if you <laughs> pull back the high intensity. Because what happens when you go into that state 
of um, pumping up through that cortisol is that your body goes into a fight or flight stage, right? And you're just holding on to everything. Um, your body is like, oh, she's feeding me and we're going to do another high intensity session in a couple of hours. So I better hold all this until we do that session. And um, what can actually happen is that your body holds more than it normally would if you weren't in a session. So it's just, I think with running is that you have this really well-balanced um, training program and then you match that with a really well-balanced nutrition plan. And I feel like that's kind of like the key to success as an athlete um, and whether it is you want to look a certain way or not. I just think that that's the this way yeah and I think (laughs) yeah and also I think if we consider the background to that high intensity training it all comes from like bang for your buck right like you're gonna have to burn to earn that food and it's it it does come from a real kind of pressure around weight but also a diet culture approach where it's all about okay well you've got 30 units so make the most of it so get as hard work as you can hurt and exercise has to equal sweat and pain and yeah it really sets up a different relationship with training and also sometimes food along with it I think yeah, 100%. I just, I think um, the way that society has created this idea in the fitness industry that you have to um, reward yourself with food, like you can only eat that if you've done X amount of training. Um, I just think that that's so wrong. Like I'm all for like a balanced diet. Eat what you want a little bit of everything is good for you. Um, and I think that's like the healthiest way to live because I also feel like when you are doing that, um, you know, rewarding yourself with food, you are feeling guilty already when you're actually eating that food. Like if I have a donut in front of me and I eat it and I feel really bad about it and I think about it for the next four hours, my body is in a state of stress because I've eaten that donut and it's probably going to hold that donut and not process it the way that it would if I just ate it and forgot about it and just appreciated the donut for what it was, you know? Yeah, there's actually <laughs> so some I think really, it's really cool studies. To have a really yeah. Relaxed night. Yeah, there's some great studies that actually show we process yeah. and store foods differently depending on where and what social occasion we're um, eating them in and how we feel. And I, I do repeat a bit, and it, like it's like I care less about what you're eating and more about how you're feeling during and after that eating session, whatever it may be, um, because it's more our relationship with food that we often need to heal before we even consider the performance, nutrition, timing, portions, all that kind of stuff anyway. And so, yeah, it's a really, really big topic that I adore. And you have just absolutely nailed every single piece of your story, but also just how beautifully you told it. Um, I don't know about everyone else listening, but I did tear up a few times and I'm so glad that I managed to get myself back together to actually talk to you, Lydia, because um, I think it just resonated, right? Like I work with a lot of athletes and our team works with a lot of athletes and these stories are ones that we hear daily and it's not, we're not even exaggerating, right? Like we're hearing these really, vulnerable stories about athletes and active individuals that are you know defining success based around a body image marker a weight a measure and it just should never really be like that so I love that you've been on that own your own journey on that and now define success so much around your mental health uh how you're feeling and so much further away from you know I guess, what you look like or how you compare yourself to who you're versing against in the next race. So thank you so, so much for sharing your story, Lydia. I absolutely adored it. And I know so many others will too. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat. And I definitely feel like we're aligned when we talk around approaching people and athletes with feelings. I think that's really important versus like numbers and stats and 
the way you may see yourself in the mirror and think the way you feel is the most important thing. So yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. Great chat. Now I'm going to link all of your socials and your blog as well to this, um, but you also have your own business. So I'd love for you to share what that is, if you would like, um, to those listening. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I run a company called Femi, so it's F-E-M-M-I. Um, our website is femi.co and you can find us on Instagram at femi.co as well. Um, and we are a female-led coaching company. So at the moment, we are just uh, specifically working with female runners. And everything we do is based on the female physiology. So we coach our females to their menstrual cycles. We take into account exactly what we were just chatting around, how females feel um, every single day um, and base their training on their minds and where they're at in the menstrual cycle. So it's very hands-on coaching. It's very one-on-one. We've got a range of different coaches who work with our athletes. And like I said, at the moment, it's just running, but just watch this space. We are going to be um, branching out to a few different other sports as well. So. Love that, Lydia. No, that's amazing. I can't wait to check it out and I will link it here. Now, for those who have listened and you're like, what on earth is Red S or this thing that they're talking about? I have done a podcast on this very topic not long ago, so I'm going to link that in the show notes as well. So you can start to just listen and I guess start to notice and become more aware because as you said, Lydia, it's about starting that curiosity and it doesn't even necessarily mean that you've got to make changes straight away. But as soon as you start noticing and becoming more aware of what this is all about, um, and also for males listening, that it's not female centric, this is something that impacts both males and females. And you don't need to be an elite athlete or extremely lean, as you referenced, to you know really feel the effects of this. Uh, it's really important that you listen along. And um, I will link that in case you wanted to explore that further as well. So thank you so much again, Lydia. It's been an absolute Absolute pleasure and I cannot wait to connect again with you soon. Thank you. See, told you what an episode. She is an absolute powerhouse and how lucky are we to have her on the show and really giving everything she did um, in her conversation, her experiences, her messages and all of the advice that she gave as well. So, of course, as she mentioned, she does have her own business. So I'm going to link it in the show notes alongside her Instagram handle, which is awesome to follow as well. She's going through a lot at the moment. So there is a whole lot of thought being thrown her way whole lot of love and I'm so hopeful that everything will work out and I'm just really glad that she's where she needs to be for her her family and really with that mindset that is so powerful that she talked about so if you are struggling if you would like to reach out please do so I have put some links within the show show notes if you would like some um, help um, from all different avenues whether that's for mental health um, disordered eating reds there's so many different options there and i mentioned a podcast that we did on reds earlier which i'll link um, so that you can keep exploring that so you can keep curious and make sure that you are everything that you need to be to be performing your best so thank you so much everyone i cannot wait for the next episode now but gosh she's set a very high standard so appreciate you and thank you so much for joining us Thank you.